Let's pray. Gracious God, you are great. You indeed are great, Lord. There are so many things in our world, so many things in our lives that we put above you, and God, forgive us for that. We put uh, our idea of religion and our preferences on politics and money and things and people. All those things we, we have a tendency to put ahead of you with our time and our attention and our affection and our finances, but God, you alone are great. Help us to understand that in the way that, in the way that you deserve. God, help us to, uh, in your Holy Spirit, as we read in the book of Acts, help, help us to make you our highest priority. You indeed alone are great, God. Thank you for who you are. Pray that you would now open our ears and our eyes and our minds as we look at your word. Help us to understand not just what happened 2,000 years ago, but what it is that you were at work doing in our world today and what it is that you're doing in each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're in Acts 19. Typically, uh, what I do on a Sunday night is I sit down and I read the chapter ahead for the next Sunday so that it's kind of in the back of my mind all week, whether I've uh, got specific time at any given moment to study it or not. And I, I just got to tell you, I love teaching the book of Acts. There's so much action. Acts is all about action. And there's all kind of action in this book. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, please go to chapter 19. If you're a note taker, you're going to have to take really fast notes today. Uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. We talked last week about the difference between a story and a testimony. Story is, is how it is that we do our best in our life. We make our decisions and we do the best that we can. And sometimes all we really do is mess up. And our testimony is the story of how God hasn't given up on us yet. Our testimony is our God story. And so we're going to see a little bit of that playing out again today in this chapter 19. We, we start out with this young man, Apollos, that we met last week. So in chapter 19, verse 1, while Apollos is in Corinth, remember now, Apollos is this young guy that was a great preacher. He uh, was raised in the Jewish church. He understood the Old Testament scriptures, and he had a powerful preaching voice. He was developing an audience, but he didn't have the whole story. He didn't have the whole picture of who Jesus was and what salvation in Jesus really meant. And so he began to be discipled. We talked about Priscilla and her husband Aquila and how Priscilla suddenly is being named first. And they take him under their wing and they tell him the whole gospel story, the whole story of Jesus, what baptism in Jesus is all about and how that leads to salvation. The next thing we see is Corinth. This is the place they planted the church that the first and second books of Corinthians are written to. Paul travels through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus, another church. He writes a letter to the church in Ephesians. On the coast where he found several believers. Were they just there? Did they just pop up? No, because he had been there and he had planted a church. And what Paul did is he liked to write letters to encourage, sometimes to redirect them if their theology and teaching got off. But what he really liked to do was to stay in touch with the churches that he planted. And so he went to Ephesus and he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe, he asked them. So this is the church that got started that maybe didn't have full, complete understanding and teaching. Why is that so important? Because God shows himself to us in three persons. We have God the Father, who is our Creator, we have Jesus Christ, His only Son, who is our Lord and Savior. And then we have the third person of God, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not an it. It isn't a lifeless entity. Holy Spirit is a person. It's the third person of God. It's important. 
Paul says that you understand who the Holy Spirit is because as Paul is going to go on and teach us, the Holy Spirit allows us to come to faith and allows us to live in faith. So it's important to him. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Some churches in America today emphasize different parts of the Trinity that is God. Some are really big on God the big God. And uh, oftentimes what you have is rather impersonal worship and uh, an impersonal understanding of who God is. Some people are all about Jesus. It's all about forgiveness. It's all about feeling good because Jesus died for our sins. And there's some churches that are all about the Holy Spirit and it's the supernatural signs and wonders and miracles The thing is, Scripture makes it clear that we need to understand all three parts of God. And so they haven't even understood who the Holy Spirit, don't even know who He is. Sometimes people spend their whole life in a church and they never hear and understand who the Holy Spirit is. So he says, well, then what baptism did you receive? Well, their answer, of course, is the baptism of John. And Paul says, Well, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. That's true. Repentance is what we do when we acknowledge that we're sinners and we need a Savior. Then we repent of that sin. It's our apology. It's recognizing that we strayed from God's plan for us. But he says John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. Paul is always preaching Jesus, salvation in Jesus, forgiveness of sins in Jesus, repentance and baptism. Paul's message is always the same. John, in fact, was the one that said, there's one who will come after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He'll baptize you in fire in the Holy Spirit. Paul is beginning to pull all of this together for people. So why does it matter? Because when we meet Jesus, we have to do something. There has to be a decision. We have to come to some point that we either believe and accept that He is who He says He is, that He is who the Bible says, or we say, no, He's not. Or if He is, I don't care. Because the name of Jesus, when the gospel has been preached and Jesus' name has been spoken, we have a response that we have to make. Either we believe and accept Him or we choose to reject Him. And so it's important that Paul works through this. Jesus requires action. That action might be baptism. It might be belief. It might be faith. It might be uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. It might mean that we have to confess and repent and walk away from some sin that we've been carrying. But always there's action. And as soon as they heard this in verse 5, as soon as they heard this, immediately, as soon as they learned about this baptism in Jesus, that there was more and there was a Holy Spirit, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There was about 12 men in all. As soon as they heard this, what happens when you hear Jesus? What happens in your heart? What happens in your mind? What happens in your stomach? Because sometimes when Jesus calls us to something, it hits us in the gut first because we don't want to. We don't want to go, we don't want to give, we don't want to do, we don't want to take that step of action. But there's always action that's required with Jesus. What is it that Jesus has called you to do? Has Jesus called you to do something for Him? Has Jesus called you to give up something for Him? With these people, as soon as they heard, they were baptized. Going on, then Paul went to the synagogue. Why? Because the synagogue is where the people who were like Paul gathered. 
Paul was a Jew of Jews. He'd been trained as a rabbi. He knew the Old Testament Scriptures. Paul was very comfortable in the synagogue. He preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. What he's doing is, he's saying, these are your Scriptures. You're looking for the Messiah. You know that He's coming. You know what the signs are. Paul says, I'm here to tell you this Jesus is the one you're waiting for. Jesus is the one that fulfills everything that you've been studying. He is the one that we're looking for. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. We talked about whenever the name of Jesus is spoken, there's going to be opposition. Paul has already faced opposition. This is not something new or surprising to him. If you have ever been bold and talked about Jesus at work or with a family member who doesn't believe or with a friend who doesn't believe, you've probably faced opposition. Maybe it's just, why do you believe that? How can you believe in somebody you don't see? I don't believe in a God that lets evil things happen. Guess what, folks? People are evil. Paul is always talking about Jesus. And there's always stubborn people who are going to react against it. There's always going to be opposition. So Paul left the synagogue and he took the believers with him. He left the people who didn't want to hear his message. And he took the people who believed in Jesus. And he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. They actually went to a church. They started gathering in a place just like we are. This went on for the next two years. So that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Paul took those who were willing to hear the message, not the ones who were in opposition, not the ones who felt offended. Paul took the believers and they moved to a different building and he spent two years pouring into them what is it to be a believer in Jesus. So many of the letters that Paul writes to the churches after this help us to understand that. That's what he's talking about. And then there's this little verse that is so important that gets overlooked. Verse 11, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. Paul wasn't just highly educated. Paul wasn't just a, a, apparently a very gifted speaker. Paul wasn't just very passionate, which he was. Paul wasn't just a guy that had very, very big moods and they swing both ways. But it says Paul, uh, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. Adrian hadn't had an interesting experience. Because, you know, in the church, we always like to make it about us. We like to take it away from God and make it about something that we did. We had an experience. We went to a conference early on in the life of our church. And there was one of the leaders there, was a speaker, said that they had done this event and they had decided that they were going to recreate some of the miracles of the New Testament. And so they had, there's a place where the, uh, the shadow, I think Peter walks in front of a light and the shadow falls and someone's healed. And they did this with handkerchiefs and, and uh, different things. And they wanted to see if they could do the same thing. And what I think is so interesting, I wasn't impressed. And Deidre kind of looked at me like, is this for real? They're making it all about them. God gave Paul the power to perform extraordinary miracles. That doesn't mean we get to repeat them. That makes it about us. It takes it away from being about God, and it goes back to being religion again. And Paul had this ability. Paul was absolutely gifted by God, not just to speak, but to perform miracles. 
A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. These were his people. These were the people that he first went to preach to now, right? They were town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation. When you read the Bible, you've got to be really careful about the words. Words make a lot of difference. And people go to great lengths to make sure they get the right words in the Bible in place of the original language, the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic. There's a couple of words here that we really have to pay attention to. These people that are going town to town casting out evil spirits, that was something that happened. They were kind of traveling showmen. They would make their money pretending to do this. They tried, that's the first word, to use the name of Jesus in their incantation. There's nowhere else in Scripture when we talk about godly people doing godly things do they use the word incantation. That's a word that the enemy uses. Right off the bat, we know that these folks aren't doing the right thing. And what they said is, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches to come out. That's the next signal. They don't even believe in him. Whom Paul preaches. They're trying to use the name of Jesus for their own good, their own glory, and their own financial gain. It still happens today. But you've got to be careful, because here's what happened. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, a Jewish priest, were doing this. Seven of his sons. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? I've met a lot of young Christians who when they begin to get an understanding of the Holy Spirit, they want to go out and fight the spiritual battles. That's admirable, but it's dangerous. Because you've got to be really well prepared. Because here's the thing. This is a very real battle and it's a very real war and the forces of evil are very real. Right now, what we're seeing throughout America is Satan is unleashing everything he has against Christianity and against God. Satan is unleashing, unleashing everything that he has to draw people in every way imaginable away from the family as God created it, away from God as he has presented himself to us in the Bible, dividing churches from churches, families from families, people from people. This battle is real. The powers and the principalities, it isn't just a thing in the Bible. It's a thing in the real world. We're living in it. And so this spirit calls out and says, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. You have to be careful when you engage the spiritual realm. See, we're safe when we're praying to God. We're safe when we're making progress in the name of Jesus. It's something very different when you decide that you're engaged, going to engage the enemy. I have seen firsthand that not go so well with people. If you feel that that's important in your life, if you've got that issue going on, find a very mature believer who knows how to gather a group of mature believers to walk you through what needs to be done. These guys found out the hard way that the devil doesn't play fair and he isn't nice. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. Can you imagine what this scene would look like in a movie? These guys go to call this, this spirit out in the name of someone they don't even believe in because some other guy that they don't really know about was talking about him and the spirit attacked. It's the kind of stuff that we see in movies, but this is real life. And the word of it began to spread to everybody. A solemn fear descended on the city. The Bible says that we're to fear and love God. That we're to, to fear the power of God. But we're also to love with the sense of awe the fact that God loves us. 
That fear isn't a bad thing. A solemn fear descended on the city. And what was the result? The name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Those seven sons were mocking the name of Jesus. They were using the name of Paul, which really didn't have any power. And they were mocking the name of Jesus. And as a result, the name of Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. Confession is an interesting thing. We don't really like to do it. We don't like to admit when we've done something wrong. We don't like to to tell somebody else, much less to tell God, but God already knows. Confession is telling God, God, I know that I have done something that is against your will. It's against your plan. It's against your word. What I tell people when they're just becoming Christians, sin is when we do something that breaks God's heart. Because God wants nothing but the best for you. And when we choose our own way, and it's against God's way for us, that's sin. And so what do these people do? They begin right away by confessing their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books, again, their incantation books, and burned them as a public bonfire. There are a lot of things in print and on video and in other media in America today that need to be burned in a public bonfire because they stand absolutely opposed to what it is that God is doing and who God is. The value of the books was several million dollars. More often than not, we don't take care of business that we need to take care of Because we're worried about what it will cost us. We're worried about the money that we might lose. We're worried about how our life might change. But these people have a public bonfire. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. What effect has God had on you? Knowing Jesus, and if you're here on a Sunday morning, if you're watching on a Sunday morning, You know Jesus well enough to know that there's something real about Him that you want to pay attention to and maybe you want to learn more about. What has knowing God, knowing Jesus, what effect has that had on you? Has it caused you to do anything different? Has it caused you to do anything more? The book of Acts is a book of action. And as Christians, we can't read it and not be people of action. So these folks, they admitted to their sinful practices. They took their incantation, their sorcery, their witchcraft books, and they built a big bonfire and they got rid of them all. They confessed, they repented of their sins, and they got right with Jesus. What has knowing Jesus caused you to do? What has been your action in response to Jesus in your life? Sometimes we need to get rid of things. Sometimes we need to acknowledge that what we're doing we know is wrong. Say, God, please forgive me and help me to do something different. Because it's only in the Holy Spirit that we can make that move. Otherwise, Satan's going to move in and it's going to be twice as hard. And then sometimes God asks us to do things that make progress. Sometimes God says, you know what? He puts on your heart just five minutes a day, seven minutes a day. Just pick up and read a little bit about me in your Bible every morning. Maybe it's to offer to do something for someone. They can't do it for themselves. Whatever it is, we talk about progress not perfection in the church. What are you doing to make progress in your faith? Are you ever going to be a perfectly sinless Christian? Not this side of heaven, no. But you can be a Christian who is intentionally making progress in your faith. Afterwards, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, i got to go to Rome. Rome is the center of all things that are religious and spiritual but that are not God. And he sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. 
But things didn't quiet down because Ephesus is the city, if you remember, of the first entrance to the city. It is a place that is very religious and very spiritual, but not godly. Great place to plant a church because people need Jesus. But like we said, whenever we talk about the name of Jesus, there's always opposition. Verse 23, about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way, the early Christian church. It began with a guy named Demetrius, a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines, we'd call those idols, of the Greek goddess Artemis. One guy had a personal problem. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them all together along with the others employed in similar trades, and he addressed them as follows. Guess what he's going to appeal to? Not religion, not God, not spirituality. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. They were offended by what these guys were saying because it challenged their income. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be, uh, lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all over the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. He is doing the best spin. The only thing they're worried about is their income. This goddess hasn't done anything for any of them ever because she isn't real. But if they can't sell the statues and the idols that they're making, their income goes down and they're going to take a financial hit. And that's what he's appealing to. At this, their anger boiled and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Suddenly they're getting all spiritual on them. The whole city was filled with confusion. You've got Paul and these guys preaching Jesus and this Demetrius preaching Artemis and those two just don't go together. There's confusion. Everyone who rushed to the amphitheater dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus uh, who was uh, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, they went to the place where the public gathered and they started a riot. They went to complain and yell and hoot and holler and scream that Artemis was being offended. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the Providence, friends of Paul's, sent a message to him begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Paul at this time had already been beaten. He'd had rocks thrown at him where he was stoned and left for dead outside of town. He was jailed. They wanted to just keep him safe. Inside, the people were all shouting some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. It sounds so much like America. When I read the, what's in the news and what I see what's happening on TV, and we've got these different pockets of very small groups of people with very loud voices, there's all kinds of screaming, there's all kinds of yelling, there's all kinds of demands that the, the lawyers and the courts get involved. But, you know, other than being personally offended, there's really not much that's happened. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak, but when the crowd realized that he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it out for two hours. The folks don't even know what they're screaming about. But at least it's not Jesus that we're going to follow. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They chant and chant and chant. And I go through the news from the past few years and I think, how many times have we seen crowds of people chanting? But what do they really want? What are they really asking for? What are they really trying to accomplish? 
The fact of the matter is, Jesus is offensive. The life that Jesus calls us to is offensive. But out there in the world, just like here in the New Testament, nobody who is choosing to live for God is ever offended in a way that causes them to join a mob like this. Jesus is offensive to the unbelieving world. Jesus is offensive to people who choose to live in their sin. Jesus is offensive to people who choose to live outside of God's will for us as His creation. Jesus is offensive unless you believe in and you're following Him. Last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. The mayor had some authority here. Citizens of Ephesus, he said. Everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis whose image fell down to us from heaven. No way, not true, but nobody was there to argue that. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. Do you know how many times in the last two years I have heard the statement from officials, this is an undeniable fact? Think back to the last two years. This is an undeniable fact. I've almost come to the point where when I hear that, I know that I don't believe it because somehow or another it's going to stand against Scripture. The book of Acts is living itself out again right here with us in this world. You've brought this men here, but they've stolen nothing from the temple and they've not spoken against our goddess. Finally, a little bit of truth. Someone is speaking truth to the angry mob. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. And now we're getting to his concern. I'm afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government since there's no cause for all this commotion. They lived in this strange peace with Rome that Rome would let them be and worship and do whatever they wanted to as long as it didn't challenge Rome. And he's saying they're going to see this as a challenge to their rule. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. They won't know what to say because they don't stand on any truth. They're rioting for no good reason whatsoever other than they're concerned that this Jesus might be real. So often today in America we see people chanting and yelling and mobbing and rioting and I'm not sure all of them even know what it's about. Every once in a while you'll see a clip on social media where someone will do something on television and they'll be out in the street and they'll talk about a politician or they'll talk about a policy. And they'll say, are you for it or against him? Absolutely against him. I hate him. He's the worst thing in the world. She's the worst thing in the world. Well, what do they stand for? I don't care. We don't even know. But you know what? They stand for something that's against whatever it is the person interviewed is wanting. And what it reminds me of in the book of Acts, just like in our world today, human corruption runs deep. Human corruption runs deep in our world. It runs through us. That's the whole nature of sin. But God's redeeming love runs deeper. And that's the message of the book of Acts. The message of the book of Acts is that we are sinful people in need of a Savior, and that Savior's name is Jesus. And we have salvation and forgiveness of sins in Him alone. And for an unbelieving world, that's an offensive message. That's a message that's worth standing in the public square and saying all kinds of things about Christians that aren't true in the hopes of quieting us today every bit as much as they tried to quiet them 2,000 years ago. And so if the book of Acts is a book of action, 
And if human corruption runs deep, but God's redemption runs deeper, what action is God calling you to? What is it that God is calling you to in your life that you know He's asking of you? You know, maybe He's asking you to give something up, to walk away from something. Maybe it's something that you've held on to for years and years and years. You have no idea how you're going to live without it. Maybe it's something He's calling you to do. Maybe it's missions in a foreign country, but I'd be willing to guess for most of us that's not it. I think what He's calling us to do is to grow deeper in Him, to trust Him a little more, to have a bit more faith today than we had yesterday, to let go of the control of our life because we realize we're really not in control at all. And rather than being offended, maybe what we should do is start being grateful. So what progress are you making in your faith? What are you walking away from that's keeping you from Jesus? And what are you walking toward that's allowing you to get closer to Jesus? Last Sunday, we had 35 people that took an incredible step of faith. And that step of faith called them out into the waters of George Lake to, to in front of all of the church family and in front of God and, and all of heaven. God called 35 people to make a public proclamation of their faith in Jesus and step out into that water. And we had people from all the different ministries who were part of their faith journey that were out, were out there celebrating with them. What's God calling you to? What is the thing that God is calling you to do in your life? What is the action step that He's calling you to in response to the truth of Jesus as your Savior? Let's pray. God, thank You for the book of Acts. Thank You for the action, for the people, for the, the stuff that happens that we can so easily relate to. God, it's not fun to see ourselves in the characters that need work. But God, we're those people too. Thank You that You are still at work on us, that You haven't given up on us. Thank You, God, that You continue to call us to You and that our action step can be to make a little bit of progress to you every single day. Our sin takes us away from you. But you are constantly there calling us home. Thank you for the 35 people that stepped forward to be baptized. You called them home. That is a statement of them coming to you. But God, every single one of us, you are working on. You're working on our hearts, and you are at work in our lives to draw us closer to you. Through your Holy Spirit, God, help us to see that, to hear that, and to follow your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is now time for our gifts, tithes, and offerings. And in the message, people were immediately moved to be baptized. And like Pastor Steve said, Jesus should move us to action. And it is time for us to take action. We have an incredible place here to come together and worship that God has entrusted to us. People are moved here, changed here, and transformed here. God is present in this place, and God is at work. And he asks for our love, our service, and our generosity. And we have many ways that you can give um, to the open door. You can give online off of our app or also off of the website. You can give in person here. You can bring it in and stop in and say hi at the office. Uh, and you can also use just regular mail. So we want to say thank you for being here and thank you for being a part of our Open Door Christian Church family. And thank you for giving so that we as a church family can take action to spread the love of Jesus. Let's continue to worship.
is so much bigger than troubles I face. Why would I hunger power, riches, or fame? My God is so much better.
All right, so Team Bat, Biking Against Human Trafficking, has made it out of Oregon, and they're into Idaho. Ten or twelve flat tires later, three German shepherds that went after their feet, and uh, I think they've traveled like 600 and some, 800, 800 and some miles, and they've gained 29,000 and some feet of total elevation. That's a lot. And they're just getting started. So they would love your prayers. You could continue praying for them, just safety and stamina and all that. And uh, if you want to contribute to the cause to fight human trafficking, we are still accepting uh, your gifts to be able to do that. With that being said, The Sound of Freedom is playing in Spicer and Wilmer right now, which is a movie about human trafficking. So often we say, well, what can we do uh, to help advance the gospel? What can we do as Christians? You know, what the world hears more than anything is money. And if people spend their dollars to go to a movie that's different than what Hollywood produces, there's a message there. You need to see Sound of Freedom. We haven't seen it yet. We're going to. Uh, it's what these young folks are biking for. You've got two different places you could watch it. I would highly encourage you to do that. Uh, pancakes are still going to be served out there after the service. Last Sunday, 35 people made the statement to the world that they're coming home that they understand who Jesus is and that Jesus is the one who hasn't just given them life but makes all the difference in the world in their life. And they gave their life and their eternity to Him. We're going to sing a song now called Running Home. Uh, it's a new one. We started the service with it. Great words. Last thing I got for you, two things. Uh, the photos and video, uh, in this video are from Sienna that you saw earlier, so thank you for that, Sienna. Seth, I think I saw you walk in earlier. Seth shot video the whole time we were out in the water. Thank you. We'll get to see that in a little bit. It's fun to be able to document the way people are moving towards God. It's a pretty awesome thing. Last statement is this. Acts is about action. What is the action that God is calling you to in your life for Him? You're going to be the one that benefits from it. More than likely, you already have the answer and you've been saying no. What is the action in faith that God is calling you to? Thanks for coming this week, folks. Have an awesome week.